Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34. Continues for a local real estate developer accused of bribing politicians. The DA's office says it was all a big effort to get a massive apartment complex plan approved. KCAL Knights Tom Wade is live in the Harbor Gateway area to explain how this all happened. Tom. And Elsa, the project is just behind me. It's that apartment complex under construction. It was actually approved three years ago. But today, the developer behind that project faced a judge accused of trying to line politicians' pockets to make it happen. Folks who break the law need to meet the consequences of the law. Mayor Garcetti in San Diego reacting to money laundering charges against this man, developer Samuel Leung. Leung faced a judge today accused of funneling tens of thousands of dollars to city officials and to a political action committee with ties to Mayor Garcetti. The LADA's office says Leung's goal was to get plans approved for this apartment complex in the Harbor Gateway area. Garcetti is not accused of any wrongdoing by the DA. No committee that I've ever been in charge has ever gotten a single dollar from this guy. Mr. Young is not a flight risk. Leung was released on his own recognizance by the judge in the case. The DA accuses Leung and his secretary of recruiting family members, employees, and others to act as straw donors. Over a seven-year period beginning in 2009, tens of thousands of dollars were allegedly contributed by more than two dozen people and companies connected to Leung. The donations went to the campaigns and officeholder accounts of eight Los Angeles area politicians. Those politicians included now LA County Supervisor Janice Hahn, five LA City Council members, and a political action committee with ties to Mayor Garcetti. None of the politicians are accused of breaking the law. The project was approved. Actions should have consequences, and today we we're seeing that. Leung and his secretary now face several years in prison if they are convicted on these charges. Reporting live in the Harbor Gateway area, I'm Tom Waite. Back to you in the studio. Today on the podcast, we're speaking with Brian Odega, who is running for LA City Council in CD15 against uh, incumbent Joe Buschiano. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Tina. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So when we first came across each other, I was covering a sun, Sunrise Movement event in uh, Los Angeles, which you're a member of this group. Brian's Odega! Sunriser, how are we doing tonight? Yeah. Are we tired? Yeah. yeah. Are we deterred? My name is Brian Todega. Like my, my brother Josiah said, I'm a candidate for LA City Council, District 15, 2022. But today, I'm here as a fellow sunriser as part of the Los Angeles chapter. I want to talk a bit for why we're here, right in front of Senator Feinstein's office. We want a fully funded civilian climate corps. What do we want? A CCC. What do we want? A CCC. What do we want? A CCC. And when do we want it? Now. Now, there are some voices out there from Fox News and elsewhere who say that demanding a CCC is far left. It's too much to ask for. It's radical. But you see, 
Here's a real news flash. The CCC is not a new idea. We've done it before. In the 1930s, President Roosevelt introduced the first CCC, the Conservation, the Civilian Conservation Corps. The 21st century CCC, the Civilian Climate Corps, would invest in our communities. Would invest in our communities, especially the frontline communities who for too long have been neglected, like the ones where I come from. You see, in my district, we have families living who are impacted by heavy pollution from oil wells and warehouses, from freeways crisscrossing their neighborhoods. We got folks who have to travel all in their neighborhoods, their cities, to go to more affluent places in order to access healthy, high quality food. What I think is really radical is the fact that we got families living right next door to an oil well. And we got people who live in food deserts that as billionaires are making record profits and running away to space, and we got millions of Americans who are still living in poverty, who are still without a job. In the richest country in the history of the world, no person should be without a job. With all the resources that our country has, everyone should be able to access healthy, high quality food. In the moral uh, society, everyone, regardless of where you come from, or zip code you come from, should be able to enjoy clean air, to drink clean water, and to access healthy, high-quality food. A civilian climate corps provide jobs for those who are jobless, will provide health care for those without, and funding for education and good-paying union jobs. This is not just a job program, however, but a vision, a new way for our government to work with the people by investing in us, by impact, by uplifting and protecting our community. Because you see, it's not enough to just say that climate change is real. We know it. We smell it with the burning fires in the air. We feel it on, with the scorching heat on our skins. What we demand is climate justice. Climate justice is racial justice. Climate justice is labor justice. It's economic justice. Senator Feinstein, you are composed to within all residents of this state. That includes frontline communities who have been neglected for far too long. Hear us, listen to your constituents, and fight like hell for a livable future. That's right. Commit to a bold climate action and support a bold, progressive climate uh, CCC like the one proposed by Senator Ed Markey and Congressman Ocasio-Cortez. What do we need? CCC. What do we need? CCC. And when do we want it? Damn right. So yeah. right off the top, I wanted to ask you about what plans you have as far as locally promoting, uh, you know, environmental uh, legislation, maybe some version of the Green New Deal that we can do here in the city of LA, since it doesn't seem to be happening uh, on the national level. What are your thoughts in this area? So sure, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, at the protest, we're protesting in front of Senator Feinstein's office in Los Angeles, because at the time, um, she wouldn't um, back a fully funded uh, CCC, that's a Civilian Climate Corps yeah. uh, program, which would invest um, huge amounts of public investments into uh, jobs that would be used to hire people, to put, to put folks to work with a wage that um, is able to you know, support their families, while at the same time doing the work of cultivating our land, making sure that our, um, our country 
is resilient and um, you know transition into one that is you know sustainable and livable for all. And so, yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that it took you know young folks, you know, who are in college, you know, from high school to protest and sleep over. Some folks also sleep overnight for the past couple of days, um, you know, to raise awareness on this issue. But thankfully, you know, it did. You know, organizing, as they say, organizing, you know, gets the goods, and she backed um, a fully uh, more funded uh, CCC. And so um, that was really amazing. And yeah, that was a win. That was a win. Um, and so, in terms of you know my plans to you know uh, my in this movement for climate justice is what I've been doing before running for office. It's organizing, it's talking to folks um, from uh, whether it's college campuses tabling there or talking to people at farmers markets to talk to folks, you know, about, you know, almost everything related to the environment that most people can connect to, whether it's about pollution or traffic, transportation, and then you transition folks into, you know, what, um, alternative can look like, you know, a city that has clean air, a city where, you know, it doesn't take, you know, 30 minutes to walk to the next bus stop, mm -hmm. you know, a city where, um, you know, you can, you can get a job um, to help your own local community that also pays well and has a pathway to unionization. And so, um, so continuing to work with Sunrise, partnering with organizations in my district, like the Communities for a Better Environment, mm -hmm. um, aka CBE, Stand Delay, et cetera, um, to do the work, to continue doing the work of educating folks, because a huge part of it is education. Yeah. A lot of people, um, I think understandably, like underestimate how much of a threat the climate crisis is because, um, you know, it sounds, the way some people may message it may sound very abstract, right? Something that's going to happen in the future, not right now. And so people are more concerned about more immediate issues like homelessness or rants or things like that. But you know the reason why it's so important that we educate folks, whether it's through Sunrise, through this campaign, just so that folks can understand that all these issues are connected, right? Um, the environmental injustices that fuel the climate crisis, such as neighborhood oil drilling, such as um, food apartheid, and um, you know industrial waste and pollution, um, you know also connects to you know people's uh, chances of longevity, of, you know life longevity, in the health ailments that people have a likelihood increased risk of getting. Um, due to that exposure, folks are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, they're you know at the front lines of all this pollution. Where you live can also have a huge um, determinant of whether you have you know parks or trees you know in your neighborhood. Yeah. And so all these issues are connected. And so that's part of our plan. And then of course to bring an actual bold green new deal, not what um, the mayor of LA has. Because uh, he calls it, you know, the Green New Deal for LA, but it's really just a rebranding of his sustainability plan from like 2015, and so really having a bold Green New Deal that um, includes measures of equity, social justice, and um, and labor rights as well. Yeah, because these things are definitely all interconnected, and in mm -hmm. fact, let's talk about uh, part of your district of San Pedro, right. uh, you know, and this is where the Port of LA is, and the EPA has San Pedro listed as one of the, one of a, the more toxic areas that you can live in, the pollution that's created from all that industry there, right. and I would say that part of that conversation has to do with environmental justice and racial ju justice and where they intertwine, because this district area 
around San Pedro is also uh, one of the more diverse areas of Los right. Angeles and one of the more still affordable working class areas. And I think these things are connected. Um, do you think that Joe, uh, the current city councilman, do you think that he is paying any attention to that, that he just simply doesn't care and thinks it's not important? Uh, because it seems to me that they're looking at, you know, doing real estate development there on the waterfront that's going to be very detrimental for the current community there because it's a form of gentrification uh, that the current residents aren't going to be able to afford, right? It's this trade-off. They say we're going to build more affordable housing units, yet for every like 30 or so of market rate condos, they put in two, only two units that are affordable. Right. And, you know, I think... Um, there's that recent development. It was at the, uh, I want to bring this up actually, the Square One home, Homes Development, Square One Homes Development. So the unit market value on each one of these is $3,600 a month. The average uh, annual salary income in that district is what? $32,279. So right. clearly the rent is 11 k more than what the average annual, annual salary is. It's not tenable. Right. So what is Joe doing there? You know, I mean, and how does this relate back to uh, the environment of that area in general, how the pollution, the port and all those other things? Right. And I really appreciate that question. Um, so I guess let me start from the top. So, yes, yeah, I threw a lot up at you uh, in that. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, so this development at the waterfront, you know, I believe, um, from articles and press releases, you know, the goal is to attract folks, um, you know, so people can see like the lights and water and all types of different attractions. And so I think, you know, that's nice, right? Mm -hmm. However, um, you know, why is it so, I think not only um, what the purpose of this is, is important, but also why it's happening now in the first place, you know, Buscino, because Councilman Buscino really, um, believed in improving the communities of people who live here. You know, he could have started, you know, working on improving that current housing conditions that folks have been living in since he first got into office back in like 2011. Um, you know, we have um, in places like Watts, for example, people are experiencing a water crisis. Mm -hmm, a, lot of the, right. a lot of the water that people are using to brush your teeth, to wash your dishes, to drink water, um, is it, contaminated with lead due to the old um, piping that people have there. And Buschino has not, um, you know, acted on this issue. And so now groups like Sunrise, as well as the Better Watch Initiative and other, org and other partners are trying to do, you know, some work to raise awareness on this issue and bring some outside um, support since our council member hasn't been a great partner or ally on this mm -hmm. front. You know, whether it's that issue or the issue of urban oil drilling. You know, Texas, I believe they have, I can't remember the exact number, but they have a health and safety setback. You know, Texas is a huge oil state, right? And yet they have a um, health and safety setback. Yet before, um, you know, November, before October, uh, California did not have one. And so for years, if not decades, people in places like Wilmington and Harbor City have been living right next door to an oil and gas well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as a result, places like Wilmington has one of the highest risks of cancer right. out of all neighborhoods in California. And Buschino, um, you know, opposed um, having setbacks. And to this day, he has been an opponent to um, not only the setbacks, but of course, phasing out oil drilling because, you know, he spends more time listening to um, the fossil fuel executives who bankroll his campaign as opposed to yeah. actual constituents who 
um, you know, who are just as worthy of his attention and his, his, his care. And so, you know, with this waterfront development in San Pedro, um, you know, it is to attract, you know, more, in my opinion, more affluent, um, you know, tenants, folks who can afford to pay that $3,000 rent. Because yeah, $3,600. I mean, that's... Because <laughs> most people in this district can't afford that. You know, I've been looking for places to move myself and it's like, you know, the average rent yeah. in the city of LA, I believe is a bit over like 2000 or so or something like, like that. 2200 2400 around right. there right. And, you know, and, and that includes really small I, I just to get clarity on this for people that don't live in los angeles what you're getting for that 2200 2400 price tag isn't like a giant two-bedroom apartment right at all it's either a studio or a small one bedroom right and it's a bathroom you know and yeah. like that's it and that's so it. um you know for a district that is 60 percent renter in a city that's you know like about 60% renters as well. I think um, our council member by pushing for this type of housing project that will lead to gentrification, um, you know, is a you know, is a failure of leadership because because um, yes, we do need to you know build more housing right because a lot of folks are on the waiting list right for for public housing alone. Right. We have 6,500 public housing units with over 40,000 or so people um, on the waiting list. We need to compare it to New York which has, I believe, about 170,000 um, public housing units and they're the largest city in the country and we're the second. And yet, you know, you can tell our city just hasn't been investing in no. alternatives to, you know, this private market, uh, real estate, you know, uh, market for a long time. And so by having these type of housing projects that do attract more um, tenants who are able to afford such rents, you know, the cost of rent is going to affect other people who live nearby. Um, okay. That's how people end up being pushed out of, out of communities that they've lived in a long time. Yeah. I've been talking to folks in San Pedro who've had small businesses who are affected, you know, they had shut down. Um, well, one, especially due to the pandemic, but having this waterfront um, and, uh, and all these lecture developments that Buscino is attracting mm -hmm. um, hasn't, you know, has made those situations even worse. And so a lot of folks are moving to places like Wilmington, um, which is also being affected by, because um, it's also a port town as well. So the port of LA is in both San right. Pedro and uh, Wilmington. And so they're also being affected by this um, growth of gentrification. And, um, and yeah, it's really, you know, it's really disappointing because, um, you know, majority of LA renters are considered, you know, rent burden, meaning mm -hmm. they spend over a third of their income on rents in places like my household where um, severe rent burden, meaning, so that's about half of the 30% who are rent become burden. normalized. It's right. crazy. Right. I mean, I've talked to people that are literally spending 75% of their paycheck right. covering their mortgage or rent. Right. It's a, you know, it's, um, it's a moral crisis because, mm -hmm. um, you know, a person's home is where people go to rejuvenate, where people go to, you know, to to sleep, to prepare, to have their meals, to feel secure and safe when it's raining, when it's hot. Um, and so when a person's living under a precarious housing situation, that creates um, a lot of instability and anxiety for a lot of people. And, um, and with these evictions, right? Because especially with the moratorium, now expired, a lot of people are at risk of eviction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, eviction is violence because you know, because when you take someone from their home, 
you know, they are, unless they don't have the fortune of having, you know, relatives who have enough space for them to live in, um, mm-hmm. you know, they are most likely to live on the streets. Also, yeah. they don't have the funds to move to a different place. Um, yeah. And so I've, and so I know what that feels like. This issue is personal to me. I've been in rent control for almost half of my life. And then um, we got a landlord who took over and has been adamant about, um, you know, pushing some of our tenants, our fellow, you know, neighbors out in favor of bringing a more higher paying um, tenants. And, um, and, you know, during this pandemic, we've seen, we've, we've been given at least two eviction notices. And so, you know, seeing eviction notice, especially during this time, right, during a pandemic, when a lot of folks are out of work, thankfully my mom, um, you know, is considered an essential worker because she's a home health nurse. So she was able to still work, but um, I had to find job work elsewhere um, in order to help out in terms of paying the bills. But um, an eviction notice is, receiving an eviction notice, you know, is like sentencing, sentencing someone to a life of, you know, of, of instability yeah. because, you know, because for that month now, we are now, you know, we have, like, we sacrificed a lot in order to help, you know, make ends meet to help pay that bill. Uh, for families like mine, a lot of us go towards, um, you know, payday lenders because yeah. just because you don't have enough money to pay rent doesn't right. mean the landlord um, is not going to want to still receive, you know, that, that paycheck because um, they want to pay their mortgage and stuff, right? Um, but... <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's something that brings people down towards a deeper hole. And that's why we need to, um, you know, extend the eviction moratorium. We need to invest in rental assistance programs. We need to invest in legal defense programs as well for eviction cases. I don't think a person's ability to hire a private lawyer to fight their eviction case should be, you know, the biggest determinant of whether they're able to stay in their home or not. Um, yeah. We need to make sure that, you know, I believe that housing is a human right. And we have a lot of politicians in LA who say that, you know, they virtually signal all of that, right? But yeah. when it comes to um, their actions, when it comes to where they divest, they direct their money towards, um, you know, it's, you know it's, it's, it's like a huge contradiction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we had Jose Quasar who was, you know, convicted of corruption with real estate development money uh, recently. And I don't think we've seen the entire fallout from that. I think there's going to be more people that are looped into that. I know that uh, there's been folks that are in Garcetti's office that have been found inside the documents, et cetera. I do think, um, I do think we can blame a lot of where we're at right now with affordable housing. You mentioned in passing the situation, the stark difference between New York City and Los Angeles as far as the number of units they have under rent control, right? Yeah. LA has very few and California in general has very few comparatively speaking because we gutted our um, we gutted our system back in 1996 with a bill called Costa Hawkins. Right. And we're still failing the, the uh, reverb of that. You know, the bill was basically designed to kind of promote real estate development in the in the uh, state in areas that were had become run down and where people didn't want to spend money, you know, maintaining the properties because uh, the rents were so low. Right. Mm -hmm. So but they whole hog destroyed the system by doing what they did. They basically um, so they made rules that basically said we will continue to have plenty of affordable housing stock if we just cap it where it is now and any new development 
is going to be exempt from these uh, rent control laws, right? So Costa Hawkins took away local municipalities' ability to instate their own policies, right? So the state mm -hmm. is the overarching thing on this. The city of LA can't go back in and create a rent control law that's against Costa Hawkins. Right. That's um, significantly been changed in the last two years, but it doesn't, which was a conversation for another day, but I'm trying to give a historical reason as to why we got here for <laughs> the younger folks that don't know. So what happened was more or less as real estate developers came in, they bought the older buildings, tore them down and built new buildings. Right. And for that reason, they got out of rent control laws. So right. little by little, um, there was a depletion Right. Of, of the of the units that were available. And interestingly enough, the reason you have um, a higher uh, a higher amount of these units in like Santa Monica, for example, is because Santa Monica has very strict building code laws. Mm -hmm. So they weren't be able to they weren't able to go in there and tear down a lot of those units and rebuild because of the building ordinances. So that's sort of what saved Brentwood, Santa Monica and those areas where you do still have some some units, but it's been devastating. It's been absolutely right. devastating in the city of LA. You cannot, uh, so many structural things, you cannot continue to suppress wages while also eliminating um, the social safety nets of those that rely on them. You know, it's like right. $15 an hour isn't gonna be enough to pay rent. Right. And why are we fighting for 15? We should be fight for 30 at this point. I mean, look, right. the city needs real structural change. Right. Where we're at right now is incredibly untenable. And I don't see, I don't see a lot of will to improvement in some of the older city council members. And that I think is uh, something that needs to be challenged. So I was curious to know what your thoughts are on that. And I think uh, a lot of what you say is pretty spot on. Right, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, especially in terms of like, Kyle, of I do think comes down to political will and mm -hmm. political courage. Um, the reason why we don't see a type of leadership, um, at least in LA city councils, because you know, the role of money in politics. Yeah. You know, my council member, I believe a couple of years ago, like 2015, 2016 time, the LA Times uh, released an investigative report on um, on this project called Seabreeze mm -hmm. um, in the Harbor Gateway area where, um, you know, a lot of the local residents, places like Harbor City, they were vehemently opposed to it. Um, but our council member, Buschino, voted in favor it nevertheless after receiving um, you know, donations from that very same real estate developer taking yeah. <laughs> that approval. Um, and so, and, and then along with other members of that committee who also approved, they also received money, including um, Eric Garcetti. And so, you know, the, real, the influence of money in politics has kind of restricted, um, you know, it has led to, you know, really a moral bankruptcy yeah. um, in our government where folks are no longer deciding, making decisions based off of values, based off of morals, more so on um, whose, you know, corporate political interests is most affected and mm -hmm. how they're going to affect, you know, when they're running for re-election. And so, um, you know, as real estate developers, whether it's the fossil fuel industry who have been vehemently opposed to, um, you know, the setbacks that we're fighting for, yeah. who have been also, um, like statewide, have been pushing the so-called like RNGs, renewable natural gas, which is basically you know recycling, you know biofuel, which they say um, you know gives off less harmful emissions, but it still gives off harmful emissions nevertheless. Mm -hmm. And so it's not uh, really clean, you know, renewable energy. Mm -hmm. However, uh, because of the way um, I. Because of the way their funding is set up, they're like they're able to get um, credits 
right. um, you know, for, you know, investing in renewable natural gas. Um, and if we were acting, you know, then or, or what is all the oil permits that our governor has been passing That's while right. at the same time talking about, you know, saying climate change is real, follow yeah. the science, <laughs> yeah, or approve all these permits. Um, and so that's because of the role that money and politics play um, in our governments. And so that's why it's so important that, uh, that we elect new leaders, new folks who, um, who run their campaigns from regular people, not you know, big time donors, corporate donors, big money, you know, corporate PACs, but actual, actual regular people, uh, public finance, you know, because once they're in office, and the reason why our campaign's running um, on people like people power and replacing people over profits. It's also not just because of how we intend to fundraise our campaign, but also it's our philosophy for how we intend to govern once in office. You know, mm. it's, it is about, you know, putting people over profits, whether it's transitioning out of fossil fuels once and for all, whether it's investing in, you know, truly, you know, real affordable housing for folks, um, even if it means um, eminent domaining, you know, vacant lots or placing a vacancy tax um, for landlords or real estate developers who refuse to right. make their housing affordable for folks who live there, not just across the county, right, but actually for people who live in that particular neighborhood, right. um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, you know, Newsom is being referred to as Mother Fracker, <laughs> oh <my laughs> which kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. You know, he... <laughs> This past year, he cut back on the permits that he handed out by somewhere between 60 and 70%. They're sort of touting that as a number, but it's sort of a false um, story because the year before, 2020, he more than doubled the amount of permits that he issued. Right. So he's coming back from a, a much higher number than what was happening previously. Yeah, no, Newsom has definitely not been uh, very environmentally friendly as far as um, as far as that goes. I think he has that well-earned uh nickname Mother Fracker. <laughs> uh, let's also talk about something related to this, and that's, you know, the housing crisis is related to the homelessness. Um, you know, mm. I think it's unfortunate that a lot of folks have a really stark misunderstanding of what drives this. You know, you often hear people say homeless people are drug addicts, uh, they're lazy, they don't want to work. Uh, one of my favorites was when Villanueva claimed that these were all folks coming in from other states. Um, right. But, the, you know, the data doesn't support any of that. And in fact, the UCLA data was pretty stark in its um, prognosis that that these were Californians that had been working previously. I think the number is like 75 percent were previously employ employed within two or three quarters by, uh, before becoming homelessness in the state of California. So these are all just completely uh, unfounded arguments that are being made by folks because they sort of want to demonize poverty, criminalize poverty, right? So speaking right. of criminalizing poverty, let's talk about the LA City Council uh, passing uh, passing what is more or less criminalizing homelessness. You know, you right. can't sleep on benches. You can't be on a sidewalk blocking, uh, you know, it's 14, uh, 1418. Yeah, 4118. So, or 4118, thank you. Mm -hmm. no, no problem. Uh, it's really untenable that this is what they're doing instead of looking at ways to structurally change what's causing the problem, right? right. We need to do something about increasing the minimum wage. We need mm -hmm. to do something, obviously, about the uh, lack of affordable housing, uh, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So I just think this is the absolute wrong way to go about things, uh, but it passed. So what are your thoughts on this? 
I think I appreciate that question. Yeah, with, um, so I believe in June, uh, so in June there was, when they first, I considered um, this motion, um, there was a rally. There was two things that happened that week that I attended. So the day before, um, there was a press conference in a major encampment in Harbor City. And so every now and then I volunteer with a group called Street Watch Los Angeles, mm -hmm. their organization um, committed to um, helping our fellow unhoused residents, as well as fighting, you know, for, you know, housing rights and um, making sure that we are doing the work of decriminalizing homelessness and poverty in LA. And so part of our work is mon monitoring these so-called sweeps where yeah. council members, folks like Council Member Buschino, um, call in sanitation workers and cops to essentially uh, force folks to live in encampments to, um, to throw okay. away you know, yeah. They vacate, you know, do, throw away their belongings yeah. and, you know, and go to other locations because. Yeah, it doesn't know. solve anything. <laughs> right. They're, they're just moving um, unhoused folks from point A to point B. And in the meantime, they're spending a, a tremendous amount of money doing this. Right. It's exactly. insane to me. Like for the amount of money we spent paying the LAPD to be present at these things, we could have built permanent housing. It's right. absolutely insane. Right. It is. And so at the press conference, uh, so we have folks who live in that encampment who are talking about, who are sharing what they thought of, um, you know, 4118 and these moves to essentially criminalize homelessness. And one of the many, um, like, common things that I heard from folks, I mean, you know, first of all, it was a really, you know, like, like impactful uh, conference because, because um, this is trauma, right? Being, experiencing homelessness is, trauma, is a traumatizing experience because, um, you know, you don't know where you're gonna, you know, where you're gonna, how, like your, your day-to-day life, you know, is all about survival. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and that does a number to a person's mental health. And, and so, and that, that trauma, that pain really came through during this press conference. One of the many things that folks were talking about was, you know, the fact that, you know, that, you know, I'm human too. You know, I'm a person, you know, some folks, you know, they're someone's grandmother, uh, one, there was a guy who spoke who was from Wilmington, he went to Benning High School, class of 2000, uh, like 2003, um, and he, you know, did water sports, and he was talking about, you know, all the things that, you know, his connections to the community, um, but now, you know, here he is experiencing homelessness, and, you know, he just, you know, once, like many other folks who are experiencing homelessness, you just want to find their way back to a home, and um, another thing that someone said was, you know, like the lack of interest and in even listening to folks who are experiencing homelessness as to like, how do we solve this issue? You know, a common thing that folks that, you know, I've heard organizers say is, you know, people closest to the pain should be closest to the power. And I think, you know, by talking to folks who are directly impacted by these issues, I think we can find, you know, you know, much more, I, like I learn every day, every time I talk to a person, you know, from the community about, you know, about transportation or things, you know, of that nature. And so just learning about the, you know, like alternatives to helping folks, um, you know, I thought was something that resonated a lot with me, but also revealed, you know, the gap, you know, the hole in our citizen leadership is, is, is its um, disinterest and in fact, hostility to public engagements, um, yeah. to input from regular community residents and that's what 4118 represents. It represents a lack of um, interest in people and more 
people who are most impacted by these issues and more so on um, on optics because yeah. you know what this does you know 4118 um, that passed in October it is an anti-camping law and so the council member can designate certain locations right um, our council member wants to um, add 161 new units I'm sorry new locations to be considered for you know banning um, homelessness in district 15 alone um, and so 161 and so uh, what this and so you know basically it's just putting up a sign saying you can't you know sleep here or lie here and um, and I just think that a policy like this um, just not only does it not solve homelessness it also makes it worse because with the recent um, new location I believe it's like 51 54 something like that yeah um you know it's gonna cost about two million dollars to create <laughs> signage <laughs> two million dollars just for these 54 uh signs god knows how much it's gonna cost for 161 um and that's money that's not gonna go towards um, investing in permanent or even temporary housing solutions it's not gonna go towards two million dollars you could put up enough housing to house all of these individuals. Right. It's absolutely insane right. to me that this is, look, they don't want to deal with the underlying causes, right? They want to right. serve their donor class. They don't want to increase minimum wage. They don't want to create more affordable housing, right. rent control, whatever else. And this is the uh, inevitable, the absolutely inevitable, inevitable consequence of that. When people live right. paycheck to paycheck and they are living on that edge, right? With no savings, all it takes is to become unemployed, not able to find a job six months out and you're done, right. you're on the right. street. Right, and so we're seeing, you know, new numbers of people who are experiencing homelessness every year yeah. uh, because, you know, for 2018, you know, just like this whole issue about criminalizing poverty, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, um, it only tackles, it only addresses the effects of poverty as opposed to, you know, the root causes. You know, one of the major reasons why folks are experiencing homelessness in the first place is due to a lack of affordable housing. So maybe we should start there, you know, investing in, you know, housing where people can live in, whether it's, you know, uh, you know affordable housing, public housing, you know, uh, you know, uh, like investing more shelter beds. Housing. I mean, I don't think, I think public housing in general has been given a bad name because of the way right. it was created, right? It was, mm -hmm. you know, public housing doesn't have to be horrible. It can be lovely and nice. It doesn't cost more money to pay lovely nice public housing right. it just doesn't so right. there needs to be a shift in thinking on that i think and right. i think people really should understand something here it's it's if, if you're one of those nimbies if you're a nimby that's like not in my backyard but i don't want to pay for it they're lazy like i don't agree with that mentality but mm -hmm. if you're one of those folks you should realize that it's actually economically more efficient to just build nice permanent public housing for these individuals than it is to do what we're doing now. We are, right. we are spending way more money, way more money tackling a problem that is not solving it. Right, right, exactly. Another issue, so another factor for this crisis is also, as I mentioned before, the lack of rental protections. And so mm -hmm. let's say someone yeah. is at that brink of eviction, like many people are, including, you know, my own household. Um, if, um, you know, you don't know how to protect yourself against kind of harassment or um, you don't have the money to fight your eviction case, you know, that also can also lead to That's homelessness. Right. And so, um, and so what this 4118, all these so-called sweeps do is 
um, you know, it doesn't address those factors and it criminalizes the problem. And, you know, um, and at the end of the day, these are, you know, these are human beings. These are someone's father, these are someone's cousin, yeah. someone's grandmother. Exactly. And, and, um, and by criminalizing homelessness, we're also continuous, you know, continuing the perpetration of racial injustice. Absolutely. You know, Black folks make up, you know, about 9% of the city's population, yet are, uh, I believe, about 40% of those who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and a lot of it is due to, right, a lot of it is due to, you know, redlining from, yeah. you know, the 20th century and um, and also the continuous lack of investments in the social safety net. And so folks every year, every decade are being pushed into this crisis and by um, increasing interactions of, you know, black and brown folks or poor people with police, you're also seeing increased risk of police violence. Yeah. You know, about a third of, um, you know, police violence cases involves someone who's experiencing homelessness um you know and 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 the consequence of that you know when the face of our housing policy is police officers you know you build distrust amongst folks who are experiencing homelessness it's harder to do outreach because they don't trust you rightfully so mm -hmm. because you brutalize them you traumatize them That's you right. force them you know way you destroy their um their identification cards um, and all types of personal belongings. I read a story about someone who um, lost their grandmother's ashes. That's all they had of their grandmother. I mean, these and it's a, you know these sweeps are very traumatizing, and so yeah, it just deep brings us you know towards it just digs a deeper hole in our city, and that's why we need to divest you know funds from LEPD into alternative forms of you know of you know service like you know community mm -hmm. programs. You know, not only for folks who are experiencing homelessness, but also um, for you know food security programs. So investing in um, in urban agriculture, investing in farmers markets. You know, so that maybe in places like Watts, where um, there's like two, like two or three major farmers markets that happen, you know, three times a week. Maybe we can have this, you know, every day, you know, yeah. all day, every day, like a regular grocery store. This can be subsidizing subsidizing. Um, local you know, corner stores so that they can be able to afford to offer you know fresh high quality healthy food for folks who live nearby who don't have access to a major you know supermarket it can look like you know a guaranteed income program which i'm also a huge proponent of so that folks aren't just you know surviving but also thriving being yeah. able to um, have a higher quality of life and so when we do you know invest in all these different resources also youth development programs i forgot to mention that i'm a uh, I'm a youth development professional, I work with young kids, elementary school, and I just know um, the importance of having, you know, a youth development program, especially for kids who, yeah. um, you know, whose parents are working, and, right. you know, so after school, they need to be, have some type of activity where they can stay active, they can learn skills, you know, mm -hmm. explore, you know, passions, art, music, uh, whatever the case may be, so that folks um, aren't getting into trouble or having increased encounters with police officers. And I think when we do, when we invest in, you know, in, in these resources, which is basically a care economy, as yeah. opposed to a carceral one where it only focuses on, you know, um, uh, you know, punishment. Right, locking people up for everything, yeah. Right, for everything. <laughs> then I think we'll see reduction in it's crime, we'll see reduction we in homelessness. And we'll also have a society that's, um, that's, that's more moral, that's more just, and, you know, it's more yeah. um, lively for all people, not just those who are fortunate, you know, who are, you know, the privileged few. 
Yeah. So you mentioned something in passing that I um, actually want to talk about a little bit first, or a little bit further, and that's uh, divesting the LAPD budget. Mm -hmm. So for folks that don't know, there's, you know, defund the LAPD is a slogan that's that's going around. Um, I think people get confused by that. I think uh, mm. divest is a good choice. You know, right now the LAPD has taken up uh, about 54% of the city budget. That's insane. Right. More than right. half of the budget is going to the LAPD. Right. And the reason that is, is so many things have been put under their jurisdiction that really at this point, I don't know why that happened, but it did happen, but they don't belong there. Right. Uh, you know, one of them is the unhoused. So these programs would be better served in other areas by people right. that are better trained um, to right. handle them, right? We shouldn't be sending LAPD officers with, with guns to deal with homeless people. It's crazy. Right. Uh, so... So, you know, Buschiano is an ex-LAPD guy. That's his, right. that's his background. Um, and he obviously does not feel the way that I do or that you do, I'm assuming. So uh, what would you say are some of the biggest points of difference between you and him when it comes to uh, law enforcement in the city? Um, so I think one of the biggest difference, not just between me and the councilman, but also like the district as well, Mm -hmm. So last year, you know, like why this issue of defending police come up is because of, you know, the police killings of George Floyd, yeah. of Breonna Taylor, of Andres Guadado by the LA County Sheriffs. And many, horrible. Right. And many more countless, um, you know, police killings. And so these are issues that have been going on for a long time, right? You know, the first biggest, you know, major uprising in LA was the Watts uprising of 1965 right. as a result of... Um, you know, of you know police misconduct, right in Watts, mm -hmm. and so this issue has been going on for a long time. But I think with advancement technology and also with this pandemic that has really, um, I think, revealed a lot of the cracks within our system um, to people who may not have been as aware, or this was like their spark for them to really um, get more engaged. Um, folks started demanding, you know, demand change. You know, our police system our criminal so-called justice system, you know, is broken. Yeah. And, you know, we need to divest from the system and create a new one that is more just, that's more equitable. And so last year, um, according to a poll by like LMU, like mm -hmm. majority of Angelinos support, you know, support, um, you know, reinvesting funds from LAPD into other, um, you know, into community services. And, um, and so, and, you know, this movement for, divestments resulted in, um, you know, at least city council, you know, all city, city councils, city governments all across the country had to deal with this issue. And in LA, um, their response was to um, divest uh, 150 million from the, uh, the three, you know, the $1.8 billion uh, LAPD budget, um, which was, you know, about 7% of a, you know, reduction. Um, and even then, because folks were calling for a huge or bigger reduction in police funding. Um, but even then our council member, along with um, uh, council member Lee, mm -hmm. uh, who's the, I mean, it's not partisan government, but you know, he's the Republican. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Voted against this. And our district, you know, we are uh, one of the top three, you know, we're top most um, like impoverished districts in the city. We have about a quarter of our residents who are experiencing, who are experiencing um, who are under the poverty line. Yeah. And we have about 49% of 
of city 15 residents who are close to the poverty line. And so we have a lot of, so we need a lot of investments and resources. And because the major response to, you know, these issues of poverty, you know, is police. And so despite the fact that our council member, you know, was a cop himself and accepts a lot of police union money. Um, yeah, that's it, level, right? It's the police right. union. Right, I was hoping that he would vote in favor of this because mm -hmm. it was only less than a 7% cut and yet he didn't. Yeah. Um, so that's the huge, um, that's one major difference. And I would have not only voted for that, I would have um, called for a bigger disinvestment because 150 million is not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to invest, uh, we need to divest um, a, you know, a larger chunk of our budget every year, um, not just last year because um, this recent budget, they actually got 3% increase um, in their budget. And right. so we need Garcetti to gave them an increase, which was right. like, are you kidding me with this? <laughs> right. And so every year we need to, you know, divest more and more money from LAPD into alternatives because mm -hmm. um, for me, um, how I see issues is through the lens of uh, one as an organizer. That's another major difference um, between me and Councilman Buschino. For most of his professional life, he was a police officer. And so his experience in um, working with the community you know, is much more different from my own. Um, right. You know, I know, I understand the importance of mobilizing people, of getting folks who have been um, intentionally uh, disenfranchised from the political system to get involved, to understand the issues and to, you know, raise and, for, and to bring people together so that we can use our resources collectively to create change. Um, and so, um, so that was what the majority of the community was calling for, was, you know, divesting from police. And so that's, so, and so that's how I would um, lead. That's how I'll do things differently by listening to the community. Um, you know, I'd, although it's not related to the police, it is, mm -hmm. you know, connected to how um, for a long time our council member has acted in our district for a long time. You know, earlier this year in um, February, uh, Councilman Buschino um, called, was calling for LA City Council to sue LAUSD to reopen their schools. Mind you, this was just, that's After, insane. you know, we just had a huge surge, resurgence yeah. during the holidays because folks were you know, flying and things of that nature. And so we were, um, you know, a hotspot for coronavirus and yeah. the communities that are most impacted were those um, who already have you know, less resources, which were mm -hmm. working class, black and brown neighborhoods, right. a lot of which happened to be in our district. And my council member, nevertheless, um, wanted to reopen mm -hmm. it. Um, not with consultation from teachers union, not consultation from neighborhood councils, because I was a neighborhood council member and I never got that memo of, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, suing LAUC to reopen? Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's insane. That's another difference. Um, but a lot of these guys are in denial that we're even having a pandemic. Right. Or because Let it's me not ask you this, Brian. How is it that he continues to win re-election in a district that doesn't match mm. as far as demographics. Mm. Right. Why do you that think question. that is? I appreciate that question. You know, it was part of my, when I was deciding whether I should learn or not, that was something that went to my mind because I've been organizing and throughout LA and also my district for a couple of years now. And so, um, and so I, honestly, so actually me, how do I say this? So I'll first start off by saying how I even knew who my council member was. So 
2017, I was interning for my state senator here in Bradford. Um, kind of wanted to learn how government worked. And I'm first gen, and so I couldn't ask my mom, you know, about government politics. I had to mm -hmm. just throw my hat in there and, um, you know, <laughs> and you know, I get some experience. And um, during that time, I learned that my council member was Joe Buschino. And I was surprised that, you know, that he was a cop, he was an older white man. And, yeah. you know, nothing wrong with being, you know, white, of course, but in my district is 85% Black and I Latino. Mean, it's a valid question. <laughs> right. Like, who is this guy? I've also like, never seen is, him yeah. before. I've lived he, here all my life. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really represent the constituency well. Right. I mean, like, he represents a certain percentage of the constituency, right. not the majority, but he keeps winning re-election. I find it to be odd. Right. And so last year, you know, when I was doing my research as to you know, how can someone like this represent our district mm -hmm. um, who, you know, who acts in a way that goes counter to our collective values, you know, it's because our district also has, you know, one of the lowest voter turnouts in the city of LA. Bingo. Right. And so um, I believe 2017 was when he last ran. And so 2022 will be the first time we're having, say, you know, city council elections on a even number lined with other with the midterms. Um, but anyways, um, when he last ran for city council, he won, um, he won by about, about 13,000 votes. Mm, close. Right, about 13,000 votes. Look, and, people coming out and voting could make the difference. We, right. we got to get the non-voters to, start, to right. start voting. Right. And so, um, so that's part of it is the low voter turnout, but it's also... Mm -hmm. Um, the high voter turnout of a sector of our district in San Pedro, not all of San Pedro, but just a sector mm -hmm. where, um, you know, because San Pedro is the economic, um, it has the highest, you know, economic power, uh, economic resources in the district, and also has an older population, uh, more uh, white residents as opposed to other okay. um, in, folks in the district. And so, uh, you know, on those measures, you know, white folks, people are older, people who have higher incomes tend to vote in higher numbers. And so, and they tend to live in San Pedro. Mm -hmm. And so since 1925, and all of the 15 city council districts um, were chartered, every single council member, and there's been 10, have come from San Pedro. Has been Interesting. A white, you know, a white person from San Pedro. And so- I didn't um, know that. Right. And so, and so as a result, when they do govern, it's in the interest of those small sliver of people in the districts. And so that's why folks like Buschino, he's able to feel comfortable and justified in voting against, you know, divesting funds from police and calling for suing LUSD and pushing for, and not supporting a health and safety setback or expansion of rent control or, you know, uh, supporting efforts to bring, you know, more wealthier tenants to um, the right. district, even if it means um, pushing out folks for generations. Yeah. And so, um, and so that's why, you know, and I think, and I understand why people, you know, who live like me, who look like me, don't vote is because uh, when we do vote, you know, these people have been in office for a long time and these issues have been getting worse, you mm -hmm. know, during that time. And so a lot of folks feel a lot of void apathy that they yeah, have an impact. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks are also aren't um, aware of how of an impact local government can have. And I think that's intentional, right? We don't teach mm -hmm. this in our schools. And our council member also doesn't do um, a job period, not even a good job, but a job period of, you know, doing town halls or, you know, right. budget halls or, you know, trying to find ways to, 
get you know to put you know city council at the focus of you know city 15 residents and so as a result you know we have over turnout of, of the majority um, because when we do vote you know we vote you know very progressive last year yeah a lot of folks went for bernie sanders throughout the district even half, yeah. about half of san Pedro went for bernie that's right um folks voted in favor of holly mitchell who i was part of her campaign last year mm-hmm. over um or wesson um holly mitchell who was endorsed by bernie sanders folks voted overwhelmingly for george gascon for da right in passing measure j and so when it comes to like the values where people stand people um you know we're progressive you know we are you know we believe in you know what's right and morality um and so part of our challenge but also our opportunity for this campaign for city 15 next year is to engage those people to you know spread our message that you know we hear you um we're here for you um and we're not here to save anyone right we're in this Mm -hmm. together it's about co-governance um and um and if you know regular folks you know come out and you know large numbers, we can really you know for the first time, you know for the first time in this district have a council member who who not only looks like them but also has lived like them, right. who shares values with them, That's and, right. is, and is not afraid and is fully committed to fighting for them as well. Yeah, no, it's it's just wild that he continues to uh, win elections. So wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, you know, so. We had, uh, you know, the Proud Boys came to San Pedro, what, three weeks ago now, four weeks ago now. I don't know why they picked this park from a park there in San Pedro, but they did. They had a gathering there. Um, they were not able to get a permit because they didn't want to pay for the insurance or they couldn't get the insurance. I'm not sure which uh, of the, those two items are true, but they weren't able to get a permit. And Busquiano basically put out a statement saying that he was... Uh, going to the police were going to turn anybody away that showed up for this event because there was no permit. Well, that didn't happen. Um, I think that's partly because the turnout was much less than what they had stated on uh, their permit application. The permit application had something like I can't remember 1200 or something over 1000 attendees, which is, you know, pie in the sky. Um, There was maybe, you know, 100 guys there. Yeah, this happened. Um, One of the things that I filmed that day um, was some locals uh, not happy that they were there. Mm. And I'm positive that this would have broken out into a fight if there hadn't been a very large police presence there in the park that day. And I'm also positive that I probably would have been hit a few times from these guys because they hit women. They have no problem with that. what do you think about in in your district in CD15? What do you think about any sort of underlying, uh, you know, radicalized right wing that might exist? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it vibrant? Is it there? Is it hidden? Has it become uh, more plain in sight because of the Trump presidency? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts in that area? Mm-hmm. I think um, like the right wing, like is um. Um, is it a vibrant part of our district? I personally don't think so because majority of our district um, doesn't reflect that. You know, overall, we are you know working class people. We're you mm-hmm. know diverse. You know, all about a third of us are immigrants. Um, at least half of us are children of immigrants. Like myself, my parents came to this country from Nigeria. Um, and a lot of us, you know, are you know much more moral when it comes to our values and that reflects mm-hmm. in how we vote. 
And so I think, um, however, I do think it reflects um, the leadership that we've been having for a long time where folks like that do feel yeah. you know, safe and secure to show up in these communities mm -hmm. to spout their, you know, their hateful rhetoric. Uh, when you have a councilman like Buschino who, um, you know, calls for criminalizing homelessness, who, um, who creates, who perpetuates, you know, stereotypes of people who are experiencing poverty, that, you know, this is a lifestyle choice of theirs, that they're invading, um, calling for these sweeps as if these, you know, folks are experiencing homelessness are some type of pest. Mm -hmm. um, when you call for um, you know, arming park rangers and, you know, more push for the carceral states, yeah. you know, you, um, you know, that, um, I don't know, like, it, it's like more meat <laughs> for, for folks who crave that type of law and order, you know, right, that type of law and order politics. Mm -hmm. And so authoritarian, right, almost. Very authoritarian it is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, speaking of, I, I was really disturbed when I saw that he had a motion before the city council to arm park rangers. The last thing the city needs is more guns out there with um, law enforcement. Right. They are not armed now, nor should they be. If they are uh, in a situation that would require that, that's dangerous, they're to call the LAPD. Right. I don't know why Busciano, uh, Busciano would, would uh, put this before the city council. It just seems like a really bad idea. And it also seems incredibly tone deaf in the environment that we're in. Right. Well, excuse me. Um, yes, well, I definitely really appreciate that question. I was also um, not necessarily shocked to see the motion because this is something he's been talking about for a while. <laughs> sort of uh, on brand for him, I suppose. Right? <laughs> but it's disappointing that um, this is where our attention is focused when it comes to our parks. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah. about arming our, you know, park rangers as opposed to investing in, you know, cultivating our parks and, you know, investing in more resources for our parks. You know, when we're, we're planning on launching our canvas um, this, this Saturday, actually, from 11 to 11 right p.m. Um, and, you know, part of the challenge was finding a park that had a picnic table uh, within, you know, 10 miles of <laughs> where I wanted folks to, you know, yeah. to, to meet, to have their refreshments, and then to you know, drive off to hit, and hit the doors. And, um, you know, there was one location was a cemetery, the other was, uh, you know, a park the size of maybe a grocery store that had no picnic tables. And then yeah. we were able to find one park that's about in 10, 15 minutes away from wow. where we really wanted to be. And you know, it's because so we don't there's, invest. there's a park with absolutely no place to sit. I mean, there's no benches, like that's crazy. But there's no tables. Wow. Right. Oh, there's benches, but no tables, huh? Right, right. And so, you know, it's unfortunate this is where, uh, again, the attention is being focused, especially after, you know, a year, you know, of, you know, honestly, a real reawakening, a reckoning yeah. of, you know, racial justice in our, you know, in our, in our institutions, our government yeah. institutions. And not only does it uh, represent, um, you know, being out of touch with where society is, where the majority of society is, it also represents, um, I think, a moral bankruptcy, mm -hmm. you know, of those who are, these are people, who, there's only 15 council members, right, represents, you right. know, about four, 4 million people, you know, about 266,000 um, constituents each, you know, the biggest, you know, if not the most powerful city council in the country, mm -hmm. with a budget over $11 billion. And 
you know, we have folks who are, who have the incredible opportunity to really, you know, create some real change that has been long overdue. And instead, um, you know, folks like Buschino want to use those resources and use those positions of power to continue to invest in the carceral state, to continue to invest in, um, in the status quo. Because the status quo, you know, not only is it not working for working people, it's also very dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. You know, with police alone, whether it's at traffic stops or, you know, with these so-called stop and frisk, you know, stopping folks, you know, um, from driving based off of uh, assumptions that yeah. they may be, you know, criminals. And of course, people who are most likely to be stopped by police are Black people and brown folks as well. Um, even though uh, Black folks and white folks have similar rates of, um, you know, having contraband in their vehicles, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Black folks are, you know, multiple times more likely to be stopped by police. And so, um, and then, you know, the violence against unhoused folks with police and now with park rangers, you know, yeah. good gosh, imagine the type, you know, what may happen because you have kids running around. But you know, you that's what's driving him wanting to do this, right? He's, he wants to do this because he wants to give the park rangers that are where the homeless people are um, camping out, he wants mm -hmm. to weaponize that. Right. I mean, that's right. clearly the motivation here. Right. Right. It is. You know, it is about, um, you know, protecting capital and not people. Um, and the capital yeah. is right property, you know, right, property mm -hmm. and um, and the perception of um, you know of order, right? So yeah. making sure that there's no uh, uh, imagery of homelessness because then you know folks can go about their way without thinking, without you know being impacted you know by right. that. But um, obviously that's not a solution, right? You know if we really want to. Um, you know, perhaps we should use some of our public parks to house folks if there's nowhere else to, to put them. Yeah. Um, so I'm really supportive of what, what Councilman Bonin um, has been pushing for in terms of using some of the space on the beaches to yeah. house folks. Uh, we need to find all types of, you know, innovative ways to house people because um, arming park rangers is not only um, <laughs> a counterintuitive solution to, you know, preventing homelessness uh, on our parks. It's also very dangerous, right? Because mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, folks are experiencing homelessness. They are not um, threats to our society, right? But they will be treated as such. And as a result, will be you know, victims of, to more violence right. um, and potential deaths as well. And so, um, yeah. so thankfully though, you know, we still have a second chance of preventing this from happening. I would add that a lot of the public comments that are given, about 95%, of which you know were in opposition to this, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so two folks voted in favor of it. A third, um, which I believe was Mike Bonin, uh, voted against it. So yeah, you know, we need more. Yeah, folks. it's not a popular uh, <laughs> right. Thank goodness, and even the LA Times came back, uh, came out with an editorial against it. So right, saying it's a bad idea, and so we still have. It's going to go up to the city council for a vote, vote. So we still have a chance to stop this reckless yeah. and dangerous. Yeah. Um, motion from happening. Yeah, and I, th I think it might be defeated. Um, it's just mm -hmm. a crazy idea. It's it's not going to help anything. Um, what other parts of your platform are important to you that we haven't discussed? Right. So another part of my platform, um, well, I guess the biggest one is, you know, definitely the Green New Deal because mm -hmm. it touches everything. So I know we talked about, um, about the oil drilling issue where we have 2,000 
374 oil and gas wells in, in District 15 alone, which is the highest rate of oil yeah. activity in the city of LA. And so we definitely have to do work in um, transitioning from oil and gas wells to clean renewable sources of energy. Um, but also, um, you know, our Green New Deal plan is also about creating jobs. So jobs in the green economy, um, because the issue is not folks who are working in the industry. It's the, you know, the industry itself, right? It's not um, compatible with um, with what needs to be done in order to, you know, halt climate change. Like we mm -hmm. have to keep fossil fuels in the ground if you want to be serious about, if you want to have a chance, you know, of stopping climate change. And so a lot of folks are going to be affected, right? A lot of people who tend to work in these industries also tend to be those who are also impacted by them as well. Mm -hmm. And so in District 15, we're a majority working class district, but the main um, pathway to the middle class is working in these refineries. So we have to create, we have to invest in, you know, green jobs that pay higher wages um, and also apprenticeships as well for folks who, um, who may not have access to these jobs in the first place, you know, like women or young people or people of color. Yeah. Um, so we can, you know, expand what the workforce looks like and also have uh, a workforce that's also empowered by giving people, um, you know, a pathway towards unionization. So folks can have collective bargaining um, rights. We also know that through a union, folks can also have better wages as well as benefits as well. Um, and so that's part of it, you know, green energy job, but it's also hiring um, folks to do outreach on a multitude of resources and issues. Um, and so right now we have a pilot program with LADWP where they pay folks to do outreach on cost saving, um, like resources people can mm -hmm. take advantage of to reduce their energy bills. We can, invest, we can expand that pilot program so that we can, um, you know, hire more people locally to impact their communities as well. It's also about investing in, you know, as well, food justice as well. We have a lot of communities in places like Watts, yeah. Wilmington, um, Harbor Gateway, where I live, where we are living in food apartheid, not just a food desert where folks don't have access to healthy, high quality food, but also uh, food apartheid in the sense that, you know, folks are um, intentionally, you know, excluded from the food supply chain. And so yeah. we need to invest in, as I mentioned before, farmers market, we also need to invest in our small businesses who are the local economies of our, um, of our neighborhoods and who um, also provide an alternative to the major supermarkets like Walmart um, and others who um, who um, are leading, you know, the effort to really, you know, tarnish, um, you know, the social safety net of our country. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. I don't want to, chasing like, the lower <laughs> wages constantly. Right. Yeah. Right. And keeping folks, you know, continuously um, on the margins. And so, mm -hmm. investing in local businesses so folks can afford to have healthy, high quality food. It's also about um, investing in public transportation, expanding mm -hmm. it, making it, you know, free, convenient, right. accessible. Why are buses free? I mean, they've been free right. through COVID and I, I think that was a good idea, but personally, I think the Metro and, uh, buses, et cetera, they should just be free for the, for just to the public. Right. And I recently, our campaign was proud to sign on to the streets for all's, uh, 25, uh, by 25 campaign, which essentially is about, um, giving about 25% of our streets back to people by 2025. Mm -hmm. And how does this look? This could look like in a variety of ways by narrowing and redesigning how our streets look to reduce traffic um, and reduce the likelihood of, uh, of accidents while mm -hmm. giving more space 
for bike lane space that's not only um you know spacious for people to ride their bikes but also secure and safe right as right. well um more uh investing more bus shelters as well you know as someone who's taken a bus for most of my life until a couple years ago when I started going to college um <laughs> taking a bus in in LA but especially in district 15 yeah um, I must say is um something that I wouldn't wish on other people unless mm-hmm. you had no other choice because a lot of people don't have a choice because Right. ownership is very expensive that's right um but you know it takes about 20 minutes to walk to my bus stop and then wow. the bus comes you know every 20 minutes or so sometimes the bus doesn't even come on time so if you you know come like a few minutes early or even a few minutes late because you know life happens right. you know you are pushed back you know another 30 minutes and so a lot mm. of people have to um, struggle you know uh, uh, block off at least an hour of prep time um so that's just so they can get to work or school um mm-hmm. in time and you know that's time away from you know from eating breakfast from you know from potential you know wage you just know, getting earned. a little more sleep right <laughs> i can't remember the study but i was reading about how um like people like folks who um like have to wait longer for transportation mm-hmm. tend to have uh, like lower wages because of sure. the time, you know, cost of waiting. And so um, we just need to make it more accessible. We also need to make accessible for folks who have disabilities or who have different, um, you know, physical abilities. Like my mom has arthritis and, you know, she's not going to walk 30 minutes no, <laughs> you know, to tough. take the bus yeah. and then wait um, in a bus stop that doesn't even yeah. have a bench, right? Because right. a lot of uh, bus stops in my district don't even have benches, let alone shade cover. Mm-hmm. And so you're standing on the sun for a long time. Right. Uh, but Nora just said part of it is because um, our government wants to, you know, discourage uh, unhoused folks from sleeping on benches. You know, so it's an anti-poverty, anti-poor, right. uh, you know, architecture design, and you know that type of you know cruelty, you know, affects all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to invest. Yeah, I remember when they started putting the spikes on the benches. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you kidding me right now? very cruel, yeah. looks ugly, and it doesn't solve the problem. No, it doesn't solve anything. <laughs> it doesn't solve it's anything. <laughs> and so we need to invest in that. And so it's really it's multifaceted. Um, and so that's our biggest platform because um, every policy, because the climate crisis, it is the essential threats to humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not an issue. So yes, right. We will feel the worst yeah. effects of it in 2040. Oh, yeah. We keep going Maybe on, sooner. on now. However, we are already feeling the worst effects. You know, in November, it's 80 degrees, you know, on a Thursday, right? Um, and today was very hot. <laughs> and yet a week ago, it was like freezing cold. We're bouncing around right. like a yo yo temperature wise. Right. Recently, the water district just called for, you know, drought emergency. You right. know, we oh, are that, seeing that's the crisis the other thing, here. The drought. Right. We're seeing the crisis here. And so every policy yeah. that gets passed, through city hall has to have some type of climate provision. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so mm-hmm. part of investing that Green New Deal is also, um, you know, because all connected, right? So divesting from, from LAPD, so we can invest in these resources and these programs, um, as well as also investing in increasing income program. I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, you know, I think, because uh, we also not only do we need a livable wage, expect to inflation, so yeah. inflation, so wages, 
went up with the cost of living and with inflation, yeah. folks will be making, I believe, well, like 25 something. Yeah, I mean, they're so far hour. apart at this point. If if wages had kept pace, like say from like 1992, 1993 going forward to now, if they had kept mm-hmm. pace with productivity, inflation, any of these right. metrics that we use uh, to measure this, people would be getting paid 27, 28, maybe even $30 an hour. It just doesn't right. make sense. You know, and I see, you know, fight for 15 and I'm like, that ship sailed. You guys, come on, 15 is not even going to cut it at this point. Right. Yeah, I definitely applaud the work that they've been doing. Because no, least yeah, at does, least they're doing something, I guess. But... You know, it starts, you know, I guess starting from somewhere, but we definitely have to rapidly, yeah. you know, um, reach, you know, the level of, you know, the scale of the problem, you know, today. Yeah. And so that includes a level wage along with the guaranteed income program so that Mm-hmm. Like so, income. like a universal basic income. Mm-hmm. Right. What kind of a UBI do you think would work best? Do you have um, an idea in mind for that, particularly, or or no? So I think um, so. We're still doing research on this, but I've been looking at what's been going on, and I believe um, District Nine. So current mm-hmm. price, customer current price. They're launching mm-hmm. a pilot program they with are. funds that they use from LAPD desk investments. Um, our consumer decides to use it to create like a, like a, um, well, to provide funding for local community organizations, which is great. However, the process, you know, was based off of, you know, voting mm-hmm. and the popularity and things of that nature. And he didn't really do the type of outreach that I think he should have um, okay. to allow, um, you know, like a variety of communities to be included in the process. And so a lot of projects are, you know, were supported were those by, backed by like major organizations. Right. So little organizations, you know, were, um, you know, were minority and orgs that were granted funds. Um, in terms of uh, UBI, um, I think, um, you know, expanding, you know, what um, Mary Garcetti is doing. And so yeah. maybe not just so, so making it universal, right? So not just, um, you know, all these different steps and showing proof. Yeah, of, no means no. testing. Just, you know, listen, <laughs> is, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Like if you pay pathway. your taxes, you should, you know. You get have, a UBI. Look, the right. only way you preserve any of these programs is by making them universal. The only right. reason we still have social security and the reason it wasn't destroyed is because it's universal. Right. If rich people get it, who cares? They're going to pay taxes on it. Right. If they pay their taxes to it, you know, then every, you know you should have a right to uh, yeah. to the benefit. Just make it universal. Period. Right. Everybody gets it. Same amount. Done. Boom. Right. And we can I afford to do it. We just have to reprioritize where we spend our money on. Yeah. The um, the Democratic Party is very addicted to means testing, and it's right. why these programs hobble along. It's why they get defunded in uh, in appropriations. Uh, it's it's really problematic. The way you right. preserve any uh, social program is just by making it universal. That's really right. uh, true. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I think that's the important part. Right, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, if people wanna donate to your campaign, uh, where should they go? And also let us know what your Twitter handle is so people can keep uh, up to date with your campaign. Yes, of course. So I'll first off by saying thank you so much, Tina. For inviting me here. 100%. I really appreciate it. It's a huge privilege to be in this space to speak with you and to your audience about what's going on here in District 15. Because if you look at the way our, our city is, you know, drawn, our district is like pretty distant from the rest of LA mm-hmm. and oftentimes so too are the issues that also go on here. So also yeah. aren't even aware um, of the issues, let alone, you know, the fact that there's five neighborhoods in City 15, not just uh, San Pedro. 
and uh, <laughs> right, yeah, that. it's true. Like San Pedro becomes the point of conversation all the time. Right, right. And so there's a lot of going on over here, and that's why we're running because you know we're trying to build um, <clears throat> to build a movement that centers you know everyday people. We are majority mm -hmm. working class, majority you know, people of color, majority renter you know, districts, and as a result, and with all the issues that we're facing from housing injustice to police brutality to environmental injustice and economic injustice as well. We deserve, yeah. you know, a fighter for the working class. Um, and that's someone who, you know, looks like us, who lives like us, who um, who's fully committed to us mm -hmm. by running a campaign that's 100% invested in by regular people. So our campaign doesn't take a dime from big money, from real estate, cop unions, um, fossil fuels, lobbyists, you name it. You know, we don't accept it. Um, just regular people. And, um, you know, our slogan is it's time for us because, you know, it is time. Um, we have a huge opportunity to have, to create uh, not only history, but also transformative change. It's about mm -hmm. co-governance as well. And if people want to learn more about our campaign, about our grassroots movements, you can check, it us, check our website out at odegafrele.com. That's O-D-E-G-A. F-O-R-L-A.com. You can also check us out on social media, on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We don't have any videos yet, but it'll be coming soon um, at uh, Bryant Odega LA. So that's B-R-Y-A-N-T-O-D-E-G-A-L-A. And, um, and we hope to earn your support.